The following shiur has been delivered by Diane Yosef Greenwald, Diane at the Betavad. For more information or shiurim, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-8742. There's a fascinating limud in this week's parasha when uh, Moshe is told to hit the rock or rather, he's not told to hit the rock. He's told to speak to the rock. Moshe erred on his madrigan. He hit the rock, and because of that, he lost the schut of leading Bnei Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. The pasuk says, You will feed, you will give to drink to the flock, to the people, and their cattle, and their animals. The Gemara Menachot Ayin Vav Amud Bet learns out something fascinating from here. I mean, this is a simply a practical pasuk of feed them. But why would the Torah put together in the same breath feeding them and their animals? It seems to be a very trivial detail next to something very important. The Gemara tells us Lamdu Yisrael. The Torah has pity is careful for the money of, for Jewish money. The Torah tells us that Hashem did a tremendous nest even on the behalf of the behemoth, even on behalf of the animals. Why would Hashem turn over the whole Sidriya Teva? Why would Hashem make such a massive, wide-scale, national miracle for the sake of the animals? It has to be the Torah values uh, Jewish money. Jewish wealth, I always like to point out over here that Yaakov Avinu was given a tremendous bracha when he was in Bet Lavan and he had a few sheep and they miraculously turned into a large herd of sheep. A huge flock of sheep. Torah says huge. doesn't say how many. There's no census there. doesn't say how many heads of sheep he had. The Zohar Akadosh tells us that he had 600,000 sheep and in those sheep would need galgel, since Yaakov Avinu produced those sheep miraculously. On the one hand, with his tremendous honesty and dignity and midata emet. On the other hand, with his kedusha and restraint. So he was zochebederich nes to produce the 600,000 sheep. In each one of them was the nishama of a Jew that would stand and be mekabel Torah, as we know also. Chazal tells us 600,000 Jews. That stood by Mahamad Harsina, there's 600,000 letters in the Torah. So really there's a parallel. And we see over here how much potential for Kiddushah, for inspiration and for Dvarim Shev Kiddushah there is in property that's owned by Jews. How much, how much, how holy is Jewish money that's used for mitzvot, for chesed, for Torah, for Dvarim Shev Kiddushah. Okay, so that's the lesson that itself is inspirational enough. There's a fascinating, however, halachic discussion. Let's take a few minutes to flesh out what the, uh, what the poskim discuss. The poskim bring this gemara in the context. This is a, there's a sefer called Zohar Harakia. It's not Kabbalistic. It's a sefer from the Rajbats. The Rajbats is from the last Rishonim that lived in Spain. Literally the end of the Spanish era, right before the Inquisition. And, he says that we find in places in, in Gemara, in the Talmud, where 
Chazal were lenient in cases of monetary loss. And he quotes this pasuk, this limud, that we just said over, as a source for that. He brings it also from Gemara Chulim, Memtet Amud Bet, in Ein Zayin Amud Aleph, that in cases of monetary loss, uh, we are lenient. But he does point out that in a case of a Safek Deoraita, Despite the fact that but when there's a real safek isur, there we would not be. This klal of being able to use uh, an opinion of poskim that might not be in the majority, that might be um, less accepted halakhically, but we could use it if it's a case of significant monetary loss, is only holds true by isur derabanan. Chazal had the power to mitigate their own decrees. With um, with a with a slant, but Nisuda Raita, we we not uh, we don't have that power. The Shach in Yoredea at the end of Siman Resh Membet is brought. This comes from a Rajba, and uh, the Shach tells us that no, even by Sutora one could uh, a Chacham can tilt the scales of halachic preference in certain ways if he has a strong basis to be. Uh, to be lenient, and he can't do that. Um, what's interesting in the Shach is that he compares being able to not follow a majority opinion of Poskim and being able to rely on a minority opinion in case of monetary loss. He compares that to the concept of Dayanim on a Sanhedrin, uh, issue a ruling, and uh, the ruling can be used even where there's a lot at stake, even where there's a lot of money at stake. Fascinating case. He brings the Irani Dachat, the city, the rebellious city, where the city had to be destroyed in the Psukim in Parashat Shoftim. And over there, we will we will actually render a ruling considering this city renegade and having to be burnt to the ground based on a majority vote in the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, the Great Sanhedrin, of course. Of 72 was Kenim that sat in Yerushalayim. It's all theoretical because the Gemara says that never happened. It's just a case that the Torah says to bring home certain points. So, um, the Shach says, why over there would we go after the majority opinion, the Bedin and the Sanhedrin? Um, we'll, seemingly based on what we just said, we'd have to stick to the minority opinion. Comparing those two is a little bit like apples and oranges because the shach is really difficult, the parallel that he makes. A rof poskim, there's always grounds to rely on a lenient opinion. For instance, in monetary law, uh, a plaintiff um, could have most of the poskim on his side and still a defendant in a bedin. In the case of a monetary claim in bedin, a defendant can hold on to his money and not have to sign a check based on a minority opinion. This is something that's uh, specific by uh, by um, by Choshem uh, Mishpat by by monetary law. Whereas Rov of of Dayanim, if uh, somebody had gone to a Din Torah and two of the Dayanim ruled that he has to pay the money, he has to pay the money. He can't rely on a minority opinion. And the reason for that is, is because when we have a Beidin, we don't look at it as a vote of two against one. The vote might be two against one, but now we look at it as the opinion of the court. 
Lavdil, when the Supreme Court issues a ruling, it's not a ruling based on individual opinions. It's the ruling of the court. Dayanim are not independent opinions. They form the opinion of the court. The opinion of the court is based on what most of the Dayanim hold. So to say that that's a case of majority is difficult. There are other places in Shas also where you find um, that that's not considered a majority opinion. That's considered a unanimous opinion. So the parallel of the Shach is difficult, but clearly we have a machloket aposknim. How far to take this idea of a Torah chas amamanoshe Yisrael? Can, can that only be used to slant, to tip the scales of halachic uh, decision-making, only in the case of a Dirabanan or even Doraita? The Maratzchius, which is one of the Mepharshim, in the uh, the back of the Gemara, he tells us the Gemara Menachot says that there might be a different way of differentiating between cases. There's a case of where a person has something he wants to do, he wants to eat something, and it might be forbidden food, it might be ma'chalot asurot, based on majority opinion. But to throw out all that food, you're talking about let's say a, a national hechsher where it's going to cost. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Could you rely on minority opinion? No. How could you let everybody eat something which is asur because of a minority opinion? There's a majority opinion out that way. When it comes to a question of having to do something, mitzvah say, uh, for instance, everybody bought a certain type of etrog. And you tell everybody to throw out that drug, they all have to spend another, whatever it is, $100, $150, get a new etrog. Okay, over there is a simple solution. Every shul, every bit Knesset could buy one, and uh, you'll do it the good old-fashioned way, before everybody had an etrog. In the good old days, it was one etrog, went around the whole, it went around the whole, uh, the whole tzibur, the whole, uh, the whole congregation. You could theoretically do the same thing, so it might not be a major loss, but let's say you have a case where doing a mitzvah properly, according to majority opinion, might be a substantial uh, layout of money. Could be that you could rely on a minority opinion. Could uh, even though both are doraita, one is proactive prohibition violation, and one is just is that cool that you were mekayem the mitzvah? At worst, you weren't mekayem, but at least you didn't do anything wrong, even according to the uh, majority opinion. So that might be another way to uh, to differentiate between cases. Interestingly enough, there's another source also for this idea of that the Torah does value. Uh, monetary loss when it comes to Jewish money, and that is in the Pasukim Pashat Tazria, where a person is afflicted with Torah. So the Kohen comes to his house, and he declares, so we're talking about a house that becomes uh, Torah. So he declares the house Tameh. Everything that's in the house becomes Tameh, because it's within the walls of the house. There are Kelim in the house that were Klicheres, there were earthenware. Earthenware Kelim cannot be uh, immersed in the mikvah in order to make it tahor. So they would have to be thrown out. So the Torah goes out of its way to say, well, clear out the house, take out all the dishes, and then the coin will go in to see if the house is tameh. Why is the Torah so specific and so uh, so helpful? Now, the Torah doesn't normally give tidbits of information. The answer is the Torah is trying to make you a point. Jewish money is important. We value it and we take the time out to write a whole pasuk to tell you how not to take an unnecessary financial loss. So this is an important principle when you're dealing, whenever you're dealing with um, both as a chacham and both as a, as a layman. 
loss of Jewish money is significant. Jewish money is used for important things. There's a fascinating uh, Chuvot Nodebe Yehuda that talks about a bunch of places in uh, in the world of Bet HaMikdash where the Gemara tells us, well, they didn't necessarily always use the best quality because HaTorah Chassam Amonon Yisrael, the same idea. Other places you have where the Gemara says, no, 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 you can't use second rate because you gotta, you gotta spend the best. So the Nodeb Yudak goes to the friendship between different cases. It's not really a halakhic discussion because that's, insofar as protocol Beit HaMikdash is concerned, we wanted more the chelek of the, uh, machloket aposkim, where it really comes up as in shelot of kashrut. Where, for instance, you have stuff that can't be, uh, kashered. Uh, let's say glass can't be kashered. We might find ourselves being makel on, on, on various different facets of uh, bliot because it can't be kashered. There's nothing you can do about it. You're going to have to throw the stuff out. So in any case, we're going to have to throw things out. You can rely on opinions on dayot that normally you wouldn't rely on. That's the classic example. Or where food got mixed together, where there would be a minority opinion that could... Uh, that could be counted on, despite the fact. So again, is it only by Yisud Rabbanan, is it even by Yisud Torah? That's the subject that we just discussed, but the concept is important as a concept for itself. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of Halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a Halakha consultation, monetary Bedin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha Journal, or for all other information, please call 1-844-200-TSHC or email info at zshc.org to subscribe.